Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. Good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you. Do me a favor, get your Bibles out this morning and uh, follow along with me. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there uh, is one, hopefully, in a chair in front of you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, okay? We would love uh, for you to have a copy of the Word of God and to read it regularly, and we just believe it'll change you and mold you more and more in the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, this morning, we're starting a new series, Above All, Christ, Christ above all. And uh, we are going to take the summer and we are going to meditate, which is a big word for think about, okay, and ponder and hopefully ingest into our hearts and minds this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a new church plant in the city of Colossae, okay? And so we, these letter, the letter is called Colossians, and we're going to go through. And I toyed with last summer, so I do this almost every summer. We go through a book of the Bible, and we really park there, and I want you guys to know your word. And, uh, and the summer is the best time to give me a long period of time to, to cover a letter. Last year, we went through 1 Corinthians. I thought about 2 Corinthians. I may do that next year. Uh, but when you do a larger letter, you kind of do a chapter a week, and I really wanted to pick a little bit of a shorter letter we really could invest in. And so we're going to do a couple verses a week all the way through the summer and really unpack this letter. Uh, I would encourage you to read it on your own. Um, you could read it this afternoon in 15 or 20 minutes, to be honest with you. In fact, I would encourage you probably to read it each week before you come in uh, to hear the sermon. I think it'll prepare you for the sermon. Uh, we always like to offer a resource when we do this, and so we have at the uh, welcome desk this resource we're offering. Uh, you have to pay for the cost of the resource. It's about $5 uh, to cover the cost, but this is a, uh, both a commentary on this letter uh, as well as it's got a lot of small blank space for small group questions that you can see. And so you can kind of journey along, do a personal Bible study, your small group can go through it. Uh, so that's kind of a resource for you guys, and it's there for $5. This is an interesting letter. We, we actually don't know a lot about the city of Colossae. Uh, it was a small city. Uh, the Apostle Paul planted a lot of churches in really, really strategic cities. This one was not actually planted by the Apostle Paul. It was planted by a guy by the name of Epaphras, which we'll see his name in just a moment. But the Apostle is writing to the church to instruct it. And as you read this letter, you'll see this is one of the letters that was circulating through the early church to teach them uh, how to effectively apply the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, it, well, most people date this letter fairly early, early 60s A.D., um, some even dated earlier, as even the early 50s. To give that some perspective, um, 
You know, imagine if, and I'm dating myself about how old I am, okay, but imagine if in about five to eight years I go, you know what, I, I want to write a, a letter that reminds Coastal its foundational years, right? That's not that far in the past. Some of y'all remember it. You would affirm the things that I write, okay? And I can't believe I'm that old, okay? But I am that old. And so, but it's still fresh in my memory. And so the, the apostles are writing very close to the time of Christ, and there's people that would authenticate his message inside of these churches, which gives us a lot of confidence in these letters, okay? I want you to see that. This letter was probably written while Paul was in prison. Uh, he mentions that at the end, which prison, he was in prison several times, so we're not 100% sure, but it, it looks like it was written about the time of Ephesians as well as Philipp, uh, Philemon. And so, um, and so Pastor Joey's not here today, and he's still in my head because he calls Philemon Philemon, and I can't get it out of my head, and it's like, a, you know, anyway, he's like a disease. Anyway, um, you could tell him I said that. He's actually getting, receiving his doctorate this weekend. Isn't that great? Uh, yeah. He can't hear you clap, but clap anyway. Um, he's there, but uh, good for him. Uh, so this morning, I want to look at just the first eight verses, and it's a greeting, and it's a traditional letter greeting. If you're writing a letter, this is how you'd write it. And greetings are interesting things, right? I mean, we have cultural greetings, yes? I mean, one of the greetings that's kind of cultural, I think, to Coastal, it may, be, it may be a greeting in a broader sense, but a lot of people around Coastal like to hug. I could go without the hug, okay? And Pastor Andrews made that very obvious to y'all, and I have people come up just to kind of spite me, you know, and give me a big old hug. And I don't really need to touch in any way to know that you love me, all right? I'm, I'm fine. But uh, I had a pastor once that was preaching, and the Apostle Paul sometimes in the New Testament will say, greet each other with a holy kiss. And I remember this as a very young boy. One time one of my pastors said, the difference between a holy kiss and a regular kiss is two minutes. It took me a while to get that. I didn't get that as a six-year-old, but I got it later in life, you know. And I remember when I was in Papua New Guinea, I spent an entire summer in Papua New Guinea, and this was long before the internet. This was in the 80s, and, and, uh, and we literally were in this remote village. We got an airplane once a week. Uh, on that airplane would come letters from home. I would write letters and send them back to home. We had a two-way radio that we were able to kind of CB to a base play, a, 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 a base camp if we needed like medical attention and the plane could come. But once a week, this plane came and that was it. And so I remember about week two, I was there for about eight weeks. About week two, I'd made friends with one of the young men in this village. His name was Beatery. And Beatery was, uh, had learned English because the, the public was trying to use English as the trade language because there's so many dialects in all these villages that the young men spoke English. So I, I developed a relationship with Beatery. And I remember one day being way out in the bush with him. I forget where we were hiking. We were hiking somewhere. And out of nowhere, he, he reached down and he holds my hand interlocking fingers in the bush, okay? And so, and I'm like, this is how it ends. I know this is how it ends. I never held a dude's hand before and I didn't know what it, it was happening. And so we get back to the village. I'm still alive and I go to the missionary. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. Beatery held my hand, you know what? And the missionary burst out laughing and he was like, I knew that was going to happen. I'm so excited. That means he thinks you're one of his best friends, I'm like, you don't have to hold my hand to tell me that, all right? Just tell me. We're friends. I'm good, you know? So, uh, but that was a greeting, right? And so this morning, we're going to park in the traditional greeting of the letter of the Apostle Paul, and there's a couple things I want to pull out that I hope we can apply to our lives, all right? And so this is the greeting to verse 1 and 2 of Colossians chapter 1, all right? Paul, 
an apostle. I'm, I'm going to park on the word apostle this morning. I really debated about teaching on this. I don't think I've ever done it before, so I felt the, it might be a good spot to do it. I had one person come up to me after the last service, like, I've never heard anyone teach on it. Thank you so much. So that means it's staying for the next two services, so you all have to endure, okay? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, okay? So for those of you who've been long-term members at Coastal, you'll know as I begin to preach through these letters, right, that you're hearing things, right? Tim, we went through Timothy back at the old building, and, and, uh, and we called that sermon, uh, that series, Guarding of the Gospel, because the Apostle Paul writes to this young pastor, Timothy, uh, about how to structure his church so that the gospel is guarded and goes forward in a healthy manner. And so you can see they, they do missions and ministry together. By the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So let's answer this question first. What does it mean to be an apostle? Because Paul here claims his apostleship. We see in some of the New Testament letters he's defending his apostleship. Okay, so apparently to Paul, being an apostle carries a weight or an authority, and so he feels the need to defend it from time to time. So let's look at the Scriptures and let the Scriptures define for us apostleship, all right? Uh, So in Acts chapter 1, we see the Apostle Peter defining for us what is necessary for someone to be an apostle. Because if you remember, Judas hung himself, right? He killed himself because he had betrayed Christ. So there's a missing seat around the 12, okay? And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 21, it says, So one of the men who accompanied us during our time with the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men, so they're talking to two men, potentially having them be apostles or disciples slash apostle, says one of these men must must become with us a witness to the resurrection. Okay, so there it is. All right, this is key. To be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so now there's these two men, Joseph and Barsabbath, also called Justice and Matthias. And so they both had witnessed the resurrection of Christ, okay? And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. And so the disciples are now praying to choose which one. So number one, to be an apostle, you have to personally have seen or personally saw Jesus after his resurrection. Okay, so that begs the question, well, where does that leave the Apostle Paul, right? Uh, He wasn't one of the original 12. Maybe you've asked this question, maybe you haven't. Well, and so there's several passages. I'm going to skim them because of time. You can do more research later today if you're interested. And, uh, And so 1 Corinthians 15, of course, is where Paul is building the case of the, res- the historical uh, importance of the resurrection of Christ for our faith. And, and in, in the previous verses, I've shown you verse 8, but in the previous verse he says he appeared to the apostles and he appeared to 500. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And I should have put verse 9 in here. Verse 9 goes on to say, that makes me the least of the apostles. Like, I'm like the one that was kind of stillborn. I was born at the wrong time, but the resurrected Christ appeared to me, okay? The second thing about an apostle, they need to be appointed by Jesus, all right? Jesus needs to appoint them with a mission as an apostle. 
And so again, it comes back, so we know he chose the 12. Right now it comes back to Paul. How did Paul become an apostle? Well, Galatians 1 verse 12. And by the way, I would encourage you later today to read all of Galatians 1 because Paul spends some time on his training with Christ, how he he, uh, is appointed by Christ, okay? And so in Galatians 1 verse 12, he said, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation with Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in, in, in verse uh, 15, which I don't have. He says, you can read it later. He says, but I was set apart before birth by Christ. And in verse 16, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order, so here's the appointment, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So if you know your New Testament, Paul is the one that's kind of bridging the gap of this great mystery. One of the great mysteries of the New Testament was chosen race, Jewish, chosen race, Messiah's coming through the chosen race. What they didn't completely understand, I don't believe, is that the Old Testament is fraught with this idea of all nations, all nations, all nations. I don't think the Jewish nation completely grasped that. And so if you're here this morning and you're not Jewish, you're here because God appointed an apostle, Paul, to take the gospel message to the Gentiles, which was a unique ministry of his. Everybody with that? Got, got me with that? Okay, the third one, and this one's open to debate. There's some scholars that would disagree with me. I could be right. I could be wrong. But I believe the apostles' ministries were, were attested or was attested by miracle signs and wonders, which could be verified by others. So others could say, oh, man, there's miracles going on around the life of this particular person. Now, let me park here before I show you some of the scriptures and say this. One of the things I, I've said this many, many times about miracles, it's not that we run through life expecting to see a miracle around every corner. God does miracles around particular people at particular time to authenticate their message or their ministry. Okay, so if we think back to the Old Testament, where do we see the bulk of the miracles in the Old Testament? Around a guy named Moses, right? And where all these miracles is he's the leader, and God through him gives the Ten Commandments, which define for us righteousness. So we know the character of God. Where do we see the bulk of the miracles in our Bibles? Anybody? Around the life of who? If you're not sure, say Jesus, right? It's always in church, it's always going to be Jesus. Right, so Jesus, right? The bulk of the miracles. Why? Because God is authenticating him as the Son of God, right? And, and the anointed one, the Messiah, the, the one that saves us from our sins. So that's why we see so many miracles around the life of Christ. And, and when Jesus teaches you're going to do greater things, I think too many people run in their minds to, man, that means we're going to do miracles. That's not what it means. It means we're going to take the gospel message to the end of the earth. Jesus ministered in a very small locale. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit allows us to take now the message and the mission to the ends of the earth, and we get to be a part of every tribe, tongue, and nation sitting around the throne of God as we plant churches, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Everybody with me on that? Okay, and so Jesus, and then we see miracles and signs and wonders around the apostles. Why? Because they're commissioned with starting this early movement called the early church, right? And so we see that in two verses where Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, Jesus sends out the 12, and he said he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits. They cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So the apostles are sent out by Christ, and they are given miracle signs and wonders. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, 
the signs of a true apostle. So in 2 Corinthians, he's once again defending that he's an apostle. He says, the signs of the true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works, okay? And so, to be clear, the office of apostle has now ceased, right? Because there's no one who can claim to have seen Christ, been commissioned by Christ, and be doing signs and miracles and wonders. This was what authenticated their ministry. And the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy, makes it clear as he's structuring the furthering of the gospel, what, what is the leadership in the local church? At no point does he say there should be apostles. He said there will be pastors, elders, and deacons. These are the structures for the local church to go forward. Therefore, these apostles, since they had seen Christ, since they were commissioned by Christ, since they were authenticated with miracle signs and wonders, they also penned the New Testament for us, right, with the words of, of Christ. And I don't have time to go through all the places in the New Testament where we claim the authority of the Scriptures. So, I whew, Okay, I did that for one person who came up last service. That was really good. So there it is, all right? I, we can talk more about that later. The second thing I want you to see in the greeting, Paul has a high view of the church. Paul has an incredibly high view of the church. He addresses the people in this church as saints. He says, to the saints. Now think about that. If you're sitting next to someone as a Christian... If the person next to you, if you know they're a Christian, just look at them. Just look at them. That's a saint. Isn't that amazing? You're sitting next to a saint. You thought they deserved a statue or something, right? I, like, I thought saints like, had an orphanage with like 50,000 kids that you saved or something, right? No, they're just, sometimes they're just ordinary people that are declared holy, by the way. That's what the word saint means. It means holy. They're declared holy. How are we declared holy? Well, when we repent of our sin and we say, you know what, I'm a sinner, we can make that acknowledgement. We go, hey, I know that God sent his one and only son who lived a perfect life, died in my place, and rose again, authenticating his claims to be the Messiah. When I believe that, his righteousness, his good works are now credited to me by grace through faith. That makes us holy. That's the doctrine of justification. We're declared holy. Therefore, we can address each other as saints. I mean, this is unbelievable. You, sitting here this morning, are the saints of God. See, there's some of you here this morning, you're a believer, and you drug yourself in here, and you've got too low of a view even of yourself. Well, I'm not, and I should be, and listen, and and this is point two, don't go ahead of me here, Steve, just leave it at this blank, but, you know, he also calls these saints faithful, right? I mean, what is it that a saint does? Well, a saint, a saint gives a, a faithful day's work for a faithful day's pay. That's what we talked about last week. A saint takes care of his family. A, sa- a saint takes their financial resources from their faithful day of work, and they take care of their family, and they're generous with their local church, so the mission of the gospel goes forward. A saint, during the day, does really crazy things like washes dishes and changes diapers and vacuums floors in their home where they faithfully serve the Lord and they faithfully uh, serve their their families. Saints are crazy like that, right? And saints obey their parents. Saints do crazy stuff like that. And saints attend corporate worship 
regularly so that their hearts and minds are reminded of the gospel and they join together with others and sing. Saints are committed to Christian community. Saints serve with their gifts and with their passions, their local church, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we're going to see in this, in this greeting, is guaranteed to go forward. That's what saints do. This morning I was driving in here and I was reflecting on this as I'm driving into this body of believers. I'm thinking about some of you in particular, and I'm like, man, these are the saints of God. And I'm driving in, and here, here's one of our saints, and he's in this service. I'm not going to call him out by name, but yesterday he took charge of the food ministry. He was up here all day, and I drive in. It's about 7.15, and now he's putting out the cones at 7.15 in the morning for parking. So we make sure there's parking so people don't get stuck getting in and out. And I'm like, man, that's what a saint does. It's incredible. And I'm watching some of our children's ministers work, walk in at 7.30 this morning, and our greeters and our ushers and our, our worship team, which was here early, practicing so that they can, we can do music with excellence so that we're not distracted, so we can sing praise to the Lord. I'm like, man, these, this is what the saints do. Incredible. You think I'm talking about a football team. I'm talking about you, right? As a follower of Christ, Paul has a high view of the church. Second thing, he says, you're faithful. He says, the saints are faithful. They're faithful to Christ. They're believers. I want you to get this. They're believers who are actively believing. They're faithful. Sometimes people will ask me, Pastor Sean, do you think you can lose your salvation? I don't think the Bible teaches that you can lose your salvation. But what about the person that prayed a prayer and now they've just disappeared? Or what about the person that says they're a Christian, but man, they're living in unrepentant, habitual sin that when you talk to them about their sin, they, they love their sin more than they love righteousness and, Christ, and holiness and, and Christ in that regard. And I always say, look, the Bible gives us two indications of how we know someone's a believer. One, we know them by their fruits, right? Matthew chapter 7, uh, uh, an apple tree. How do you know if you have an apple tree? Anybody know? It produces apples, right? Some of y'all are like, I thought the answer was always Jesus when we were in church. I was about to yell Jesus out, you know. Uh, how do you know if you have a peach tree, right? It produces peaches, right? And so how do we know we have a Christian? It produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and you're growing in that. And, you're, and, 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 and even if you sin, even if it's a believer that sins, a believer is grieved over their sin. Hey, brother, I noticed that, man, you did this or this is going on. I, I, Man, I hate that sin. Can you help me overcome? That's what a believer does. But an unbeliever, man, they love their sin. You confront them on their sin, they don't care. Man, I want to be on the path to death. Why? Because I love my sin more than I love Christ. That's how we know. Number one, you know them by fruits. Number two, you know them because they're faithful. I don't believe, I, I don't think the phrase once saved, always saves is a good use of language. I, I, like, the, I like the phrase, the security of the believer. Pastor Sean, if you come to me, Pastor Sean, I have some doubts. Yes, but, but have you acknowledged, like right now, do you acknowledge that you're a sinner and that Jesus is the Son of God and He died for your sin and rose again, that you might have eternal life? Do you believe that? Yes, I believe. Right now you believe that. Yes, but I have some doubts. But do you believe that? Yes, that's the security of the believer. You're believing. Do you believe today? Yes, I believe today. Great. And listen, I want to encourage all of us in this room, like if you know someone, you have a family member, for some of you, this, I might be talking to you, and, and it's your child, right? And you're like, man, my child said they pray, they said they're a Christian, but now they're living this way, but when I talk to them, I say they're a Christian, I want to encourage you, don't be too quick to, uh, to um, affirm someone's Christianity. 
who's living in habitual sin. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you affirm anyway. It depends on their heart and God, who God alone knows, right? But, but if I'm sitting in front of someone who's in habitual, unrepentant sin, but they're telling me a Christian, I'm really quick to just say, you, you might not be a Christian. How dare you say that, you know? Well, I just want you to be saved. I don't know. It's between you and the Lord at the end of the day, right? But, but man, I just want you to know Christ and be believing right now. Paul says, man, he dresses this church because you're saints and you're faithful, and I want you to know as your pastor, man, I thank God for so many of you that I've served with faithfully for going on two decades. And I'm like, man, these are faithful saints of the Lord. And like the Apostle Paul, I know the beauty of that. Number two, all right, the triad of thanksgiving. Paul's thanksgiving around this church is what I call the triad of joy, all right? And you're going to see these here. Uh, you see these throughout the New Testament. Paul talks about faith, hope, and love. Yes, faith, hope, and love. Colossians 1, 3 through 5, we always thank God, Paul says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. So there's this, Paul's talking about this constant prayer for his church. He says, since we heard of your faith, if you have your Bible, you want to highlight that, in Christ Jesus and of the love, there's love that you have for all the saints because of the, here's the third one, hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, okay? So three things, faith. Notice Paul's very clear about the object of faith. It's not just faith in faith, right? We, we can get this in our culture. You're watching somebody on TV, they're going through a crisis, and they're like, well, I have faith. I always want to say, faith in what? Because the object is more important than the faith, the faith that you say that you're declaring, the object of our faith needs to be secure. And Paul says, man, I praise God that you have faith in Christ. And he doesn't make any bones about it. We're going to get to this in a moment. That he believes that the gospel of Christ is true. He, it, he declares it to be exclusive. Never assume that a person's object of faith is Christ. And so he says you have faith in a strong object Faith in Jesus Christ, the miracle-working, resurrected Savior, he says to this church, is the object of a Christian's faith. Your faith, no matter how much you think you do or don't have, has got to be affixed in something solid. And Paul says, our faith is in Christ. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 is so important that the historical re bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is something we hold to as Christians. We trust and believe in historical fact. One a amen. Listen, we have become not bold enough that we affirm the truth. And that shouldn't make you uncomfortable. Your faith is affixed to something true. And we hold to that. And Paul affirms that in this early church. Number two, he says, I see your love for others. Listen, the overflow of knowing Christ is loving what Jesus loves. The overflow of knowing Christ is loving what Jesus loves. Ephesians chapter 5, we're told that Christ loves his church so much, he's willing to die for it. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the door. What? See, uh, man, you guys have done this many times here. This is really, really, really bad theology. 
Stop saying that, all right? Here's the, here's the building. Here's the tool to do ministry with its steeple. We don't even have a steeple. The old Kroger bill. This is, used to be a bread store, all right? <clears throat> Open the doors, and there's the, the church. It doesn't rhyme, I know, okay? This is the church. It's the people. And whenever, you know, and maybe you get this, sometimes I get this in the community, people are like, man, Coastal, I'm hearing good things about that. I said, man, it's, uh, it's filled with amazing people, saints that are faithful. If you're here this morning and you're, like, maybe you're here this morning, you're like, man, I love God and I love Christ, but it's the church I could do without. Then you don't love what Jesus loves. And you need to repent and begin to love what Jesus loves. Which, by the way, we're told in the New Testament we've got to forgive one another. So if you've been hurt by the church, how are you going to learn forgiveness unless you get hurt sometimes, right? Hurt is an opportunity to go, man, I get to grow to be more like Jesus. I get to forgive someone else the way I've been forgiven. How do we do that? We love the church. Paul says the overflow of loving Christ is loving the church. Finally, Paul says hope, right? He says your hope is laid up in heaven. Biblical hope is always delayed gratification, it's being willing to forsake the comforts of the present for a better future. The author of Hebrews says we look to Jesus who taught us this. Hebrews chapter 2, he says, look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hope is delayed gratification. Hope is being heavenly minded. Hope is being willing to suffer in this life knowing, man, there's a better life coming that's going to last forever and ever 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 and ever. We have the mind of Christ who endured the shame of the cross for the hope set before him. Faith, hope, and love. Final thing I want you to see this morning is what I'm calling the unstoppable gospel. Listen, this last couple of verses gives me so much hope this morning. I'm so excited about Paul setting up this letter by telling us that the gospel of Jesus Christ will not be stopped. It goes forward. Colossians 1, 5, and 6, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. A couple things about this unstoppable gospel. Number one, it's personal. Paul says the gospel has come to you. There is a personal aspect to the gospel. If you're here today and you're a believer, you know that, right? You remember the day kind of the spiritual scales fell off, you heard the gospel, and then there was this kind of this spiritual understanding, John chapter 3, where the Holy Spirit comes and it brings a spiritual awakening, and there's a spiritual understanding. But the Word of God, the gospel of Christ, has come to you individually. I want you to kind of just meditate on that for a minute. The God of the universe cares for you individually. And there's some of you in this room, you've heard the gospel, but you've, you've been rejecting it because there's some influence in your thinking from a, maybe a parent 
who told you you'd never amount to anything, or don't believe that garbage, or maybe a, 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 a professor in your college that you had on this pedestal that you thought, man, that professor is really smart, and they told you, man, you can't possibly believe this stuff. Or, or maybe it's a coworker or, or a spouse even, or maybe a parent or a child that will think you're crazy if you repent and believe in the gospel. And, and, and listen, the Holy Spirit, as we've been talking, as you've been coming, has been touching your heart and saying, you need to believe this and receive this today. Don't put it off. The gospel is personal to you because God cares for you. Isn't that great news? And don't put it off. Maybe today for you is the day. Like, you know what? I'm done worrying about what everyone else thinks. It's not about them. God, the God, the creator God of the universe has been opening my eyes that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved by God's grace. And his grace is found that he sent his one and only son who paid a penalty for my sin. He rose again, authenticating his claims. And today you need to be saved. Don't put it off. You could do it right now. I don't even have to bow heads and close eyes. You can just say, God, you know what? Today I believe. I believe that message. I'm done faking it. The gospel is personal. The God of the universe has been tapping me and saying, believe. The second thing about the gospel, Paul says, is it's universal. He says the gospel's going across the whole world. That's awesome. It cuts across ethnic and social lines. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, your loyalties lie at a much higher level than, man, I'm proud to be an American. Some of y'all are singing a song in your head now, right? Or at least I know I'm free. Minus $22 trillion in debt we got to pay off. Anyway, but, you know. No, your loyalties lie with the King of Kings and His kingdom. You... If you're here this morning, you're a Christian. That means you have brothers and sisters in Christ that, with countries that we may be at war with. And our loyalties lie with Christ and His kingdom and His church. I'm not saying you don't support your government. We're told in Romans 13 to submit to your government, another sermon for another day. But I, I am saying, man, our hearts, our compassion, our minds. There might be some churches in North Korea that we need to serve. Because the gospel's cutting across the whole world. And this makes me optimistic, by the way, about the gospel, that the gospel wins. When Abraham was promised as many as the stars of the heavens, as many stands at the seashore, that's how many children you're going to have. And then when we looked at, when we looked at Genesis this last year, and we looked at how the promises of Abraham are now gifted, grafted in or gifted to the church, right? And so, man, the, God, the church wins. The, church, the gospel is going to be effective. Why? Because it's universal. And why do we know it's going to be effective and it's universal? Because it's true. The gospel is true. Nowhere does Christianity, nowhere does Jesus, nowhere does the Apostle Paul, does Christian, do any of them claim that Christianity is one way among many ways to God? Paul claims that the gospel the person and work of Jesus Christ is the only way to God is true and it's exclusive. If you want to know truth and you want to know freedom and you want to have hope, then you build your life on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know you all are like, why are you so red-faced? Listen, there are churches in America that are beginning to waver on this point. And we cease to be a church at that point. Listen, Paul is writing this letter from prison 
because he believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's already said three times in the opening, in the opening greeting, it's true, it's true, it's true. You can't have both truth be both be and non-be. It's one or the other. You and I can't believe opposite things, and they both be true. We can be tolerant, and we can be kind. I'm not saying any of that, but I am saying that truth is objective and knowable. And it's the same for all generations. And so it's unstoppable because it's true. Fourth thing about the gospel, it must be heard and understood. Paul says, since you guys heard it, and then you understood it. The Holy Spirit brings understanding, but guess what? We bring the hearing. The Holy Spirit brings understanding, and that's up to God and His purposes for His children, but we bring the hearing. I hit on this a couple weeks ago. I want to park here for one moment. I talked about how sometimes as Christians, we, we use Christian sayings that I think we think are sharing the gospel. Like, we hang up the phone and we're like, hey, have a blessed day. Wonderful phrase. It's kind. It shows that you understand there's a creator who ultimately brings blessings. And I know a lot of us do it in hopes that we'll have a deeper conversation. And so if that's you and you're doing that for those reasons, fantastic. Keep doing it. But please know, that's not a gospel presentation. That's, that's an on-ramp. That's an opportunity, hopefully, to share the gospel. What, there are particulars that a person has to understand about the gospel in order to be saved. Did you know that? Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul gives them to us. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what, church? That's a positional word. Jesus is my boss. Jesus is in charge. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Okay, so this is encompassing the person He's Christ. He's the anointed one. He suffered. He lived a perfect life. He suffered and died for our sins. And God, through uh, uh, supernatural intervention, raised him from the dead. If you believe that, you will be, what's the next word? Saved from what? I didn't know I needed to be saved. I didn't know I needed saving, okay? Paul here is dealing with sin, Uh, There's a just punishment for our sinful rebellion to God. And so the message of the gospel is, Jesus is the only way. For with the heart one believes, verse 10, and is justified. Okay, that's declared righteous by grace through faith. We are now declared righteous before a holy God. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no longer a distinction between Jew and Greek. By the way, this is revelation revolutionary here. There's this moment in history where the Jews have birthed the Messiah. Jesus lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. And now Paul, going back to his apostleship, is raised up as an apostle to the Gentiles. If you're here this morning and you're not Jewish, you're here because Paul went forward to the Gentiles to present the gospel. And so now it's cutting across the world, Jew and Greek, all under one roof of belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what, church? That's the message. You have to present Christ. You have to present sin. You have to present a penalty for sin and the resurrection of Christ. 
So that's the gospel presentation. And here's the gospel imperative found in Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they going to preach unless, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us so faithfully? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Here's our imperative. We have to go with the gospel, church. You have to go with the gospel. I have to go with the gospel. We, as a church, have to have every tribe, tongue, and nation in mind when we do ministry. And the good news is the gospel will be successful. Colossians 1.7 Paul says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, he's the one that planted this church, our beloved fellow servant. He is faithful to minister of Christ on your behalf. Listen, if you're, if you're here this morning and you've been hand-wringing about the future of the church and the future of the gospel, listen, the gospel is always successful. God raises up gospel missionaries for every single generation. He just does. He raises up the next generation of faithful gospel missionaries. Listen, feet are ugly. Like, where are you going with this? All right, feet are ugly, right? Nobody likes feet. Last night I was sitting on the couch. I said to my daughter, hey, how about you rub my feet? She's like, ooh, disgusting. Okay, like, and Pastor Andrew, when he got here, he introduced to us a Monday Thursday service on Holy Week where part of the service is a foot washing, just like Christ washed the feet of his disciples the, third, the day before he was crucified. And we do that as part of that service. And I've done it three times now, and every time I get clammy, and I, and I only wash my wife's feet, right? And I'm still like, oh, this is so gross. Like, feet are not pretty. No one's like, nobody, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're a foot model. That's kind of weird, okay? But all in all, it's like, man, feet are gross. Nobody wants to touch another person's feet. No one thinks feet are pleasing to the eye unless those feet are bringing the gospel. Isaiah 52, Paul repeats it in Romans 10, and it applies to you and me. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Your feet are taking you this week as a message with the unstoppable gospel to your neighbor, to your coworker, to a roommate, to your children, maybe to your parents. Shoot, maybe, maybe, maybe there's someone in here as God's raising up to go take the gospel to another country. Maybe God's raising up the next pastor of Coastal Community Church, the next small group leaders, the next church planter coming out of this church body. And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Your feet and my feet need to bring the gospel to someone this week. How can they have faith? unless they hear. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this greeting of the Apostle Paul, his high, high view of the church, God, saints, faithful. 
Father, I thank you for the faithful people of this local church. They serve you with their time, their talent, and their treasure. I praise you for each and every one, God, your saints. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gospel message which goes forward successfully. And we, we, we get to be a part of passing the message. We get to be a part of the ones who bring the message that God loved so much that he sent his one and only son to suffer and die in our stead and raise again to give us the hope of eternal life so that we can have faith in something secure, love one another because we've been freely forgiven, and hope of eternity with you. Faith, hope, and love in the person and work of Christ. Thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.